Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough. Or even if they don't dictate it, it's almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. From my personal mobile studio, my 2006 Jetta Diesel TDI. And uh, on the note of the mobile studio, I watch a show that I bet a lot of you guys watch on cable TV on Discovery Channel called Mythbusters. Mythbusters just had a little mini-myth where they were busting the myth that diesels are polluting the atmosphere and killing us all with global warming. And it was like an old 30-40 second segment. And they had my car, my exact Jetta Diesel, sitting in the Mythbusters shop, and they took uh, that little redhead gal carries a white scarf away from her. They held it over the uh, the exhaust pipe while the car was running for a little while, and not a speck of dirt or carbon or anything. Clean burning car, and. Uh, then you know what they did next? They uh, they analyzed the emissions to determine that, that my diesel Jetta, burning this evil diesel fuel, uh, is about 70% cleaner and better for the atmosphere than the average passenger car. So, uh, just so I throw that in. It's kind of cool to you know sit back and watch a TV show and see your car on TV and actually hear something good about it for a change. But uh, you know those Mythbusters guys, they're scientific, uh, unlike the global warming crowd. So anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, let's knock out some house cleaning and then we're going to talk about today's topic, which is we're going to talk more on bug allocations. I'm going to try to talk about some different things from in the past that I've talked about from uh, on you know finding and selecting and uh, why you should even have a bug allocation kind of. First steps if you don't have a lot of money, things like that. Uh, knocking out the house cleaning first. Uh, number one, I wanted to let you guys know something really cool. Uh, I have another article on LouRockwell.com, and it's actually sitting number two on the homepage of LouRockwell.com today. Now, today is, uh, what is today? Today is Thursday. And it is May the 21st, 2009, so if you listen to this in the future, it won't be there. But if you're listening to it on the day published, you can go to lourockwell.com and you'll see an article. And it's about 10 and 1 of modern survivalism. And it's sitting between articles uh, featuring Jim Rogers and Peter Schiff. So that's a that's a pretty big kick for me to see my name sitting there between those two guys. Uh, I would ask you to go by and check out that article and uh, share it with your friends. Let them know. I mean, uh, Lou Rockwell may be a little more credible to those you're trying to expose to uh, survivalism than uh, the survival podcast itself, at least initially, hopefully. Anyway, um, let's also uh, remind you real quick about Third Time 09. I, I don't know how many more people they're going to take. They're over the limit, but they're still taking people for that thing. Uh, that's going to be the last week of August out in San Bernardino, California, and uh, Love to see anybody from TSP show up out there. It'll be me. It'll be about 14 other uh, survival lecturers doing workshops and uh, everything from making bows to making knives to uh, micro uh, lightweight backpacking gear and survival gear, all kinds of stuff. And I think they're actually still adding more instructors or, or lecturers from my understanding as well. I'll be there Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then we're taking a vacation after that. Last bit of house cleaning today. If you think you get more than 25 cents in value from the survival podcast, 
Plus. Consider joining the Member Support Brigade uh, for $5 a month or $50 a year. And that works out to about a quarter an episode if you pay monthly. And it's about 20 cents an episode if you pay annually. And that goes a long way to help support the work that we're doing here. And I sure as heck try to deliver more than a quarter's worth of value to you every day. All right. Uh, on to the subject, uh, so we don't need too much time in the, the lead into the show. Um, bug out locations. I've done quite a few shows on these, and I've talked about different ways to find them and different things to do once you have them. But it's something I'm going to keep going back to a lot. One, because I absolutely know from the emails I get, the comments, the forum threads, the phone calls, all that good stuff, that it's something that's on everybody's mind. That, that Maybe not everybody's mind, but on a, a lot of folks out there wanting to know, where do I look? How do I find? What do I do? How do I get in? And some of it's not even I want a bug out location. It's I want to get the hell out of here. How do I get the hell out of this city and move myself out to the country? So I figured I'll take another swing at this one and see if I can give you some ideas, some tips, some suggestions. Um, Number one, I'm going to go at this today the way I usually do, and that is from the standpoint of if you're a person that wants to, and I'm sorry if I'm distracted, there's a huge truck upside down on the other side of the highway, and I, for once, am actually the rubbernecker. Remember, live podcasting from the road here. Anyway, um... You're the type of person, I'm going to assume, that would like to maybe make a transition similar to what we're doing. And what I mean by that is we have our home in suburbia. We have our bug out location. We're managing two properties at once right now. Eventually we want to go there. Maybe you know you don't even want to eventually go there. You just want to have it and you want to go there uh, as a vacation, as a retreat, or if you need to fall back to it. I'm going to take that approach because if you just want to go, everything I'm going to say it's delackable. If I don't take that approach and you don't just want to go, then you know you're kind of in this limbo state. Well, I can't do that. So that's why I'm going to do that. So with that in mind, my first statement, and I always say this, but it bears repeating, is think very carefully about how far away from where you are you want to buy a piece of property. Ten hours may not seem like a long drive, but uh, with the wife and kids and maybe a dog or a cat or whatever, it can be really, really long. Our location is about five hours away. It's if, if I can, if the, if the wife takes a nap and we can keep the pee breaks on the trip to one um, and, and one gas up with another pee break, we can be there in under five hours, just under five hours. Typical wife awake for the entire trip, it goes to six. So I'm going to tell you, that's the limit for me. I really sometimes wish the place was just an hour closer. I think we would go more. It's up to you. You have your own limits. You have your own constraints. You know who's traveling with you. You know what their limits are. You know how often they're willing to go. Um, You know whether you're going to be able to break off and go by yourself once in a while, whether that's going to be reasonable to do. You know how much free time you can get away from work. You know the demands of your job. Just consider every single bit of that um, while you're making your decisions about where to even look. Because if you're looking in a place and you find a great place and then you start to really analyze that situation and go, hey, look, this uh, this seven-hour trip just isn't going to work. So do make that evaluation. And then once you've made that evaluation, get yourself a map and draw a circle on the map in a five-hour or a four-hour or a seven-hour or a three-hour, whatever it is, draw a circle on the map. 
standard printed out map from Google Maps or one you buy in a store, I don't care what it is, just draw that circle. And then just start looking at the different areas, townships, boroughs, what have you, that are inside that circle. And start evaluating them from there. And, and that way it's not so much, well, I, because I've gotten questions recently like, well, I'm down in Austin. What you say about Arkansas sounds really cool, but that's too far for me. Where would you suggest? Well, I, I really don't know. I, I really don't know what I would look for if I were in Austin right now. I would probably look out around like, um, the, uh, to the east of Austin, into I can't think it's, maybe it's Lufkin, Texas area, out in that area, out by the the national forest and all. Maybe up toward the Tyler side, not in Tyler, but up around there in the the Piney Woods. Maybe that's where, but I really don't know because I've not really evaluated it. It's never been what I because I've always wanted mountains. That's one of the things I've wanted. So that's another thing I have to point out with this. This is highly personal. When you start talking about buying a piece of property, whether you're going to live there or vacation there, it doesn't matter. One way or another, you're going to own it, and you're going to value it. It's going to be an asset. So you have to think, you know, from the center of your, your soul, sort of, so to speak, what do I really want? What do I really love? What am I, if I don't have, what if, what, what, thing if I don't have it, am I going to always wish I did? And for me, it was the mountains. And I understand for other people, it might be flat land. I want to focus more on agriculture. I want to put in a big old pond or several ponds. And I need nice, flat, you know... Uh, easy to farm land so you have to think what is it that I want and that will go a long way too to help you start just narrowing down between that circle and then saying well what do I want and finding the areas that are geographically the closest to what you want offer mostly what you want inside that circle all of a sudden this thing that seems like this daunting task gets easy now if you think about it when you go out and you look for a home in, in, in your city that you live in or your town that you live in it's generally not that hard. You know I'm looking for a four-bedroom, two-bath, two-story brick and vinyl with a yard that's at least a quarter of an acre. So since you know what you look, you're looking for and you know where you're looking, you just start browsing listings to start shopping. And eventually you find what you really want and you make an offer and hopefully you're able to end up purchasing the property. That's all I'm saying to do and the reason it seems so daunting, it seems so overwhelming when you're evaluating a bug out location is for the first time in your life Life, maybe, when it comes to something as big as property. What you're really faced with is you can have anything you want within your means. And let's say your means is $20,000. How much is $20,000 by? Where are you looking and what do you want? And it can buy an awful lot today. You know, the uh, one of the good things about rural real estate, I guess, is that it, it doesn't tend to drop in value. The way that places in like, you know, Arizona and Florida and California have. They haven't seen those huge property drops, but there's good deals out there right now. Uh, there, there's quite a few of them. The next thing you really need to look at is, are you willing to cross state lines? For instance, we have our main home in Texas, our secondary home in Arkansas. There are disadvantages to moving outside of Texas. Chief among them is Arkansas has a state income tax that maxes out at 7%. When we look at what we save in property taxation and the cost of property ownership and everything else that we pay for in the state of Texas, 
it more than offsets itself, especially at a reduced level of income when we finally go there. But we want it to be aware of it. So make sure you're aware of things like that. If you live in a state where it's very easy to obtain a concealed weapons permit, does the state that you're considering going into for a bug out location offer reciprocity if you're a concealed handgun carrier? If so, great. Once you move there permanently, what's the process to get a new one? That's a that's a hurdle for us in Arkansas. I could end up waiting six months to get a new concealed carry permit, and the second that you move there and become a resident, your Texas permit becomes invalid. But you can get a non-resident permit from Florida in advance. So that's a, te- a step. And that you know that suggestion, folks, that's not Jack's figure. That came to me from a listener who moved to Arkansas and had to deal with that. And he did the exact same thing himself. He went before he became an Arkansas resident, got a non-resident Florida permit, Florida and Arkansas have reciprocity, so he was able to use his Florida permit to carry in Arkansas. But if he had a resident permit, he would have not been able to continue to use it with reciprocity. Seems kind of stupid to me. And it seems very, very backwards for Arkansas to think that way, with you know, as, as firm as they are on the Second Amendment. But that's the way that it is. So make sure, if you're crossing state boundaries, you're aware of things like, is there an increase or decrease in income tax? Is it possible for you to eventually move there permanently but maintain the residency of the state that you already have? Could you kind of flip the tables? You know, maybe get a nice little place, a little mobile home to stay in and a little lot uh, so that when you come back to visit family, you have your own bed to sleep in and make that your official residence and maintain the residence of the state and the advantages that go with being a resident of that state. Start, so, you have to, so, again, this is a little bit different than some of the other things I've talked about with bug out locations. These are important things to think about because, remember, we don't just plan for the shit hitting the fan here. We plan that some sometimes, and most of the time, the majority of the time, nothing goes wrong. So how can we set up redundancy for when things do go wrong that is advantageous to us when nothing goes wrong. That's tenet one of modern survival philosophy. So if we if we think this way and we buy a strategic piece of rural property somewhere, that property becomes an investment. And if nothing ever goes wrong, all it is is another asset on the books and it's probably a lot more stable and it's going to give us a lot better return emotional return, use return, and financial return than most stocks, bonds, mutual funds, even gold or silver. Because they ain't making any more dirt. There will never be any more land available than there is today. Say that again, there will never be any more land available than there is today. Now, things like gold and silver, are they finite in, in their uh, you know, resource nature? Sure they are. So is oil. But plenty of the gold, silver, and oil is still under the ground. It can still be mined. You can't mine more earth. Right? If the global warming people are right, land is going to shrink because the oceans are going to rise. I don't believe that, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. Can't ever resist an opportunity to take a stab at those guys. Another thing with, uh, with your, your property, let's start talking about some attributes that the property should have. 
Uh, number one, the very first things that you need to look at is, am I going to have water on the property? Is there water there now? And if there's, like you find like an old horse ranch or something, if there's if there's ponds there, that's great for irrigation. That's not your uh, bathing water and drinking water, though. So is there a well or is there access to city water? If there is no well, you need to call a couple companies in the area that do wells and ask them, you know, say, here's where this property is, this is where it's located, give me an off-the-cuff quote if I need a well drilled. I understand absolutely understand that you could go down and, and the ground would be different there than it is elsewhere. You're not sure. But at least give me a ballpark, high and low, off the cuff, what does it cost that we generally to put a well in, in this area? They'll usually give you that number. If they won't, hang up on them and call somebody else. I bet you somebody, make two or three phone calls, you'll get a number. You'll understand what that number is. If you're thinking, well, I'll haul water in and stuff like it, it's okay in the beginning, when you're building a homestead or creating a homestead or creating that retreat property, you know, you can do that, but long term, you really need a source of water. So, looking for property that has springs on it, natural springs that have good quality drinking water, uh, running creeks, even a seasonal creek. With a seasonal creek, you can set up a pump system and then create redundancy by putting in tanks. But you have to consider all of these things in the cost of the property. Next question you're really going to need to ask is, what's it going to take to get electricity onto this property? I know some of you guys want to go off-grid. Let me tell you my thoughts on that. If you want to do it, go ahead. It's going to cost you more money. You're going to have a better asset long-term, but it's going to cost you more money. It's also going to limit your um, your ability to uh, to live there. And, and how you're going to live there. If you're comfortable with that, that's fine. People that want to go out, live off-grid in the middle of the sticks, solar panels and windmills, and just deal with the fact that they have limited power available to them, I completely understand. I'm completely okay with your decision. Not what I wanted. And I also want to point out, if you eventually want to live off-grid, it's going to be easier, especially if you're doing the two-location thing, to get there if you start out with power and migrate yourself there over time, eventually maybe even having two sources of power, the grid and your uh, your alternative energy sources, and using the grid where the shortfalls are. I want you to think about this. There's always analogies. Everything is interrelated. The more you can see relationships between things, the more intelligent you'll be able to act in your decision-making and your thought processes. And, and, And seeing these similarities and where other things that don't seem to be related apply is why I'm able to do this show every day and keep it interesting. Here's an example of that. What I mean by when I say if you have power from a city or a rural utility company, whatever, and then you're moving to to, to, uh, to alternative energy. It's a much easier thing to do than to go out there and have nothing and try to build it from the ground up. The relationship I'm talking about is thinking about food. One of the big reasons that we store food is even though we could get into a situation eventually where we're going to have to really provide for ourselves through growing food, foraging, harvesting, livestock, whatever. We could be in a point where everything melts down, the true end of the world as we know it scenario. It's not the most likely, so we don't live like, like it's going to occur, but we prepare for it. And why we store food for that, that might be store-bought food, is because if we get into that situation, and you have six months to a year worth of food stored up, getting more food is easy. 
Because you have a full belly, you don't panic, you don't act in fear, and you have time. And you can slowly, methodically compensate for the eventual running out of food, and you can ration what you have accordingly. Okay? It's the same thing with if you have access to grid electricity. You can be in comfort while you convert. Especially if you're not going to be there 24-7, 365. If you're not going to be living there. Now, if you're going to buy a royal piece of property, put a tent on the damn thing and camp out and just keep building until you have what you need to live in. You want to take that approach? I think that's awesome. But that means that you're going to be working in that area, you're moving there permanently, that's fine. But if you're in this, this transitional phase, trust me, we have a fully functional home. Go in and turn the lights on. There's still challenges. So be aware of that before you make the decision. I'm not saying not to do it. You know, just think about it. I think you're better off if you can find what you're looking for with electricity on the property to do that. You also have to ask some important questions when it comes to that. A lot of times you'll see property advertised, electricity is available. Great. What the hell does that mean? Often what it means is the electrical grid's main power lines run right along your property line, and you can call up, call them up and say, give me some power, and they'll come out and install it for you. There may or may not be a major charge to do that. Sometimes it means that you're close enough to the grid that they'll come put the power lines in for you, but you're a lot further than whatever they give you just to install for you. In other words, a lot of times they'll say, well, we'll put in 75 feet or 100 feet of secondary run power line to a structure for free because we have to serve you because that's part of what we do as a utility company. But every foot beyond that is going to cost you 4 or 5 $6 a foot depending on the area, what the, the soil's like, whether they're doing aerial underground, that type of thing, to be installed. You need to know what that number is before you go purchasing a piece of property, only to find out you're going to spend $2,000 to have your utility installed if you're planning on having utilities installed. You also have to call the electric company that serves the area and say, what is a qualifying structure? Some utility companies will come out and stick a power box in and say, have your electrician hook up with you. They'll stick a power box in the middle of a field if you want them to. Some will say there has to be a structure of at least X square feet that's habitable. You need to know, if you're planning on electricity, you need to know what that electric company is willing to do and not willing to do for you. So make sure you ask that question. I've said this one before. You absolutely need to have some sort of structure for or on the property. What I mean by for or on is if you have a nice travel trailer and you don't mind dragging it with you every time you go there, that may be a great solution. You might also go in the local areas, look for used travel trailers, drag one up there, put it on there. You have to worry about theft, so you have to do some things to minimize the potential for theft. One really cool thing that I've seen done is I've seen uh, a person who took the tongue, the part that hooks to the truck, and they cut it with a torch. And they welded plates on it and put bolts on it, and they basically made the tongue of the trailer removable. So you can take the, these, these huge, and it was huge, heavy bolts, and it was like eight bolts on each side. This thing wasn't coming apart. There, I guarantee you that the point where the tongue bolted together was as strong or stronger than the rest of the tongue itself. It wasn't going to fail. But the, the nice thing for this person was they would take it to their, their uh, remote location, they would drop that trailer there, 
They would lift the trailer up and put it on a set of stands. And then they took the tires off it, and they unbolted the tongue, and they threw the tires and the tongue in the back of their truck and took it home. And you might have vandalism, you might have theft of what's inside it, it's going to be really hard to get that freaking uh, trailer off the property, and probably more trouble than it's worth. And a lot of times in dealing with potential theft, if you make something difficult, thieves look for something else. But if you make it easy, and they see it as a target of opportunity, i.e. some guy's bouncing around out a rural area with a pickup truck with a hitch ball on it, and he sees it sitting there, and he realizes it's completely evacuated because everything's growing up around it because you ain't been there for a while, he may very well hook up to your bug out location and tow it away. So you have to think about that if you're using that option. Another option that I think is really uh, a pretty decent option are the portable buildings, mini cabins, all of those types of things. The stuff that you see sitting out in a parking lot at Home Depot or Lowe's. I don't think you should buy them from Home Depot or Lowe's because I know from shopping around and looking at what's available, you can get a much better deal from alternative sources, i.e. the people that actually usually build them. Now, I have seen at some Lowe's and some Home Depot locations. Uh, it's not Home Depot or Lowe's that are selling them. They're, they're actually, you know, JB's uh, mini storage or whatever has a contract to uh, to place them in the parking lot. You are buying direct that way. Um, you still might want to track them down and go to their location. You still might get a better deal because they're not carrying the overhead of, you know, paying for the space in the, uh, the, the, the box store parking lot. But those have a lot of potential. There are some things to, to consider with them. One, I think, uh, even if you want to just kind of buy it as a shell, finish it out yourself and you're comfortable with doing that, fine. You probably want to go ahead and pay the people that build it to put in all the windows you want. They don't cost that much, and that, that avoids having to cut holes in the wall, and it's one less thing for you to worry about. Two, if you think you're going to insulate it and drywall or panel the inside, I've looked at some of them, and when you look at the joists and the roof struts and everything else, the way they're joining together, you could slap paneling or, or what have you right up against them, no problem at all. Then I've seen other ones where, you know, you're going to have to build, like on the roof, maybe a, a substructure, or you're going to have to go in and cut the plywood they use to joint the trusses together, because the way they're set up, you can't just panel or drywall them. There's a raised piece of the plywood. So, you know, take a close look if you're going to take that approach at exactly how the structure is built and consider all the modifications you want to make to it before you do it. Understand, if you start looking at actually taking one of these things and converting it into a, a true little mini cabin with a little kitchenette, uh, running water, uh, the appliances and all, even small stuff, they can get quite expensive very quickly. So you have to make a decision. Are you going to ever build a true house on the property? And if so, you might want to really kind of scale back what you're going to do with one of these mini structures. If it's always going to be a vacation slash escape slash bug out location, well, then maybe you really go all out with something like that. But, you know, just re- just realize with those things, they do have limitations. Now, I've started to see some of them that are built uh, recently that the exteriors are steel. And if you want something to last really long term, it's, it's probably a better option uh, than the ones that have, you know, the traditional uh, uh, paneling on the exterior of them that are going to require painting every few years and things like that. 
Now you can go out and get, you know, a nice size uh, one of these shells, uh, make it your little uh, cabin, have a few windows put in it, toss some solar panels up on the roof, put in some uh, batteries, uh, bring in a, a method of cooking that uses gas, some t- sort of wood burning or, or something like that to heat it. You could even, if you have electricity available, toss in one of those little mini window unit uh, air conditioners. Uh, if you do that, I would either remove it from the window every time you leave and lock it up, or I would uh, make a wall penetration and actually permanently install it into the wall so that it can't be removed. It's, if you leave it in your window, it's a really easy thing for somebody to come up, open your window, steal your air conditioner, get inside your property and steal everything that's in there. So, you know, that's another thing really to think about. Um, another thing you've got to think about with the remote stuff is if you throw solar panels on the roof of one of those little things or any kind of structure and you're not there often, it may be a very tempting thing for thieves. doesn't mean you don't do it, but you might want to think about um, some other things that you do to make your property more secure. There's two fairly inexpensive things that I found that with rural property are very effective in keeping invaders and crooks and thieves and bad guys out. Uh, one is a gate. And people would say, well, gates keep honest people out. They don't keep out bad guys. If you're a bad guy, you're willing to cross a gate. Yeah, not so much. The minute you have a gate, it infers that somebody cares if you're there. And on a dirt road, that might mean that you're going to get shot for going there. Uh, it, it is a deterrent. It is not 100%. But I promise you that a property that has a gate at the end, even a property that's on a road that people drive by, but the, you, you, there's like a long driveway and you have a gate at the end of that driveway, a lot less likely to, uh, to have people just randomly pull in, show up there, check things out, and scope it out. The other one costs even less, and that's the sign. Private property, no trespassing. Trespassers can and may may be shot, might be another way to put it. And uh, I'll tell you a story of a place that I used to go hunting. It was kind of a um, wild boar hunting out- outfit. The guy that ran it was only there from Fridays through Sundays. He he would bring hunters in on Fridays. They'd hunt through the weekend. Uh, he'd try to get everybody out of there by Sunday morning. He'd hang out Sunday afternoon, and then he'd go back to his day job. And that was how he was, uh, you know, affording his lifestyle and uh, eventually getting his property paid for so he could move out there and permanently run it as a hunting operation. Well, the problem was during the week, people would come out there and steal stuff, vandalize stuff, things like that. So he started showing up and paying a guy once in a while to go out there and show up and, and catch people in the act. Well, every time they caught somebody on the property, they would say, oh, I, you know, unless they caught him in the act, they'd say, oh, I, I was just lost. Uh, I was hoping somebody would be here. I was wondering if you could help me get out of here. I, I, I don't know how to get out of here. And they would claim to be lost. So out by his gate... <laughs> Which people were having to go around, under, through, what have you, to get onto the property and pretend to be lost. He put up a sign, and the sign simply said, you're not lost, you're trespassing. His problems with people being on that property unwanted, he said, dropped by about 90 to 95% the day he put that sign up. Because it stuck a fear in them that... This guy means business. And it's different than, you know, the typical sign from Walmart, posted private property, no trespassing. It was specifically written to them. He eventually, to deal with the the people that were left, put up a second sign. The second sign said, 
if you are lost, turn around. This road is a dead end. And he said, since he put that sign up, they haven't had one problem in several years now. They haven't had a sink, and they used to be chronic. But those two signs, coupled with a gate, has done away with 100% of people coming on the property unwanted. So, you know, that's the type of thing, and you might use different terminology, different signage, but understand that there is a, 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 a mental state of somebody that would do evil to steal, damage, uh, do anything to somebody else's property. And that is, those people in the reality are freaking cowards. They're cowards in their low life and they're scum. And above all else, what their motivation is, is self. I want what I want, so I'm willing to take it from somebody else. That's what makes them a coward, because when your motivation is 100% self and no one else, well then self-preservation becomes very, very important to you, and you tend not to take risks that can result in getting your ass shot. The very notion that somebody on the other side might shoot you sends most of them away. Now again, it is not 100%, but it is effective. So consider it, and it's the most uh, inexpensive insurance policy you could use on a remote location, so I really advise its use. Now, what about tent camping on your remote property? Getting yourself a nice, good backpacker's tent or, you know, even a big, giant family tent, something like that, and just saying, hey, you know what, until I build out there, we're going to just take a tent, set it up, and we're going to stay in a tent when we're there. Yeah, um, are you married? <laughs> now, if you have a wife that just, like, loves that kind of stuff and is totally cool with it, great. I think that for most people, that's going to be a real pain in the ass. Having at least a place to plug in, a few electrical things, a decent shower available, a good soft bed to lay on, and even if you're okay with uh, the tent thing, if you have some sort of structure with a good bed, a good shower, good running water, you're going to use it more. Now... There is a place, I think, for what I call outside structures and portable ones that will expand your living area. What I mean by that is let's say that you go and you put in one of these uh, these little mini mini cabins, mini sheds, what have you. You set it up. You have a bed in there. You have a little mini fridge. You have some electricity. You maybe even have a TV and an antenna sitting up on the roof, and you're close enough to some town to be able to get some TV stations or what have you. you got all the comforts of the home. They're just minimized. And your biggest limitation at that point is space. Well, even those things like, you know, like a 10 by 12 uh, canopy that provides shade, if you bring that with you, set one of those up on the side of your house where you're going to get the most effective use of the shade that that cover offers you, it's going to really expand your usable space. Bring some chairs, bring a grill, that type of thing. And when you get there, go ahead and set up that external uh, living space. And uh, if you're in a time of the year where you're not running the AC or what have you, you know, open all the doors, open all the windows, and make the two kind of one while you're there. And then pack it up and either store it there or take it with you. And I'd, I'd look at taking as much as you can into a situation where you... Uh, what a jerk. 
God, people are stupid, folks. They really are stupid, the way that they act. Anyway, um, I would look at leaving as much as you can within reason on your property because that gives you the freedom to take more with you back and forth when you go. So if you can afford it, you might want to buy some sort of, of uh, outside structure, maybe even one of the gazebo-type things with the screens in um, to keep mosquitoes off you and what have you when you're out there. But having that additional space to kind of spread out, but having shelter from rain, shelter from the sun, shelter from insects, that type of thing, will make the entire experience better. The reason I'm so big on the experience is, one, if you ever have to go there and rely on it, you want as much comfort as you can get. We try as survivalists to have, you know, we're rugged, we're tough, we can deal with it. But you know what? You might have kids with you. You might have a wife with you. And and you might be, you know, just really want to do whatever you can to make a bad situation as comfortable as possible. So making that comfort available is important. On top of that, if you make it comfortable, if you make it enjoyable, if you take little steps like this to make it as usable as possible, you will go there more. You will spend more time there, and you will begin to be able to shape the land the way you want to. And I guess that's what I'm going to wrap up with today, is kind of shaping land and, and, and why it makes a lot of sense many times to go ahead and try to find a property, even if you want to live there eventually permanently, before you're ready to do it. You can start shaping land. I've talked about this with all the permaculture stuff, but trees take a long time to grow. But if you spend five years in transition and you start planting trees on your property the day you buy it, your trees are five years ahead of the curve by the time you're actually living there. And that's just one way to look at it. The other side of this is... You will actually spend less money this way. I know it doesn't seem to make sense because there's a cost in buying it. But we don't take a hell of a lot of vacations anymore. That's part of our returning a trip out to Wilderness Way in California to a vacation. When we want to go on vacation now, we go to Arkansas. And that is like a vacation for us. And we go out there and we stay in our own home and, and there's there's no big expense for that weekend or that week or whatever it is that we go. It, you know, the only thing that we maybe do is uh, so that we don't deplete our reserves is buy some food. Well, you're going to eat anyway. We spend some gas to get there, but folks, I can go a long way in this car. Even in the truck, it ain't that expensive to get up there. So... It really is long-term. And, and, and then the other side of this is, you know, we, we didn't pay cash for our place, but our payment is less than most Americans' car payment. We bought smart. We bought low. We went heavy with a down payment. We made sure we got the best interest rate we could. We shopped around, and we bought smart. So every dime that we spend to pay on this property is either interest, which is tax-deductible, or it's going against principal, which is an investment in something we have. So while it may cost me five to six thousand dollars a year in payments, insurance, everything that it costs to maintain this property, if I spent five thousand uh, dollars a year on vacation, that five thousand dollars a year is gone. Where when I spend it here, it's either tax deduction or it's invested. So really think about the investment value of property. Now I want to be clear about something here. If you have High credit card debt, two car payments, and a house you really can't afford, now is not the time to start shopping for the remote piece of property. You get your house payment into a low reasonable level where when you have your payment on both properties, if you're using debt to do this, and this is one of the places where I think debt is okay, cash would be better, but debt is okay. I understand why. I've done it myself. But those two payments together add up to less 
than the house payment that most people in your income bracket make, you're probably okay, and your investment is more diversified than one big expensive house, and you have a plan B, a fallback location, including lose your job, try to sell your house, can't do it, have to walk away from the mortgage, really don't want to, at least you have a lower cost property to go to. Hate to put it that way, but maybe the situation. But until you have your vehicles paid for, your credit cards eliminated, you're probably better off focusing your money on those and doing minor preparations. But at some point, it makes a lot of sense to step up and start looking for the bug out location type thing. Even if you're in that scenario, start window shopping. Use the internet. Take little mini trips. Go get a tent for 50 bucks. Load up the car. Find a state park that's somewhere around you. Go camp in that state park and during part of your camping trip, drive around in the town. Look at the little towns. Look at the cities. Look at what properties are available. Start now, even if you're not ready to buy. Because that way, when you do get the opportunity to buy, you'll be a lot more familiar with the area. And I think on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap up today's show. I hope this has given you some new things to think about with bug allocations. And let me finish just with why I think it makes so much sense. I really believe that rural property is going to become a highly coveted asset in the future. Uh, I did my future prediction show about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, and I said, and I believe this still, that the populations of major cities, Dallas, San Francisco, Tallahassee, New York City, all these big cities that are just overtaxing their people, overtaxing their infrastructure, just destroying what they've built, those city populations are going to decline. And I think a lot of the urban sprawl around them, the, you know, the suburb uh, places, those property, uh, the number of people living there, the density is going to decline as well. People are going to start moving out of those areas. There's more options for telecommuting with work. Uh, more and more people are going the entrepreneurial route and doing things for themselves. They're leveraging the power of the Internet. There's, there's, there's plenty of people out there that make a living by selling things on eBay. They can live anywhere they want. If they could get an internet connection and a phone line on the moon, they could literally live on the moon and run their business. More and more people are taking this approach. More and more people are taking the approach of being artists and selling their artwork or selling, building something and selling what they build, and they're using the internet to do that. So a guy might build handcrafted furniture, but his outlet for sales might be a website and eBay. And he can build his furniture anywhere in the world. So more and more people are going to move out of these cities. In general, except for the party people and the people who are just a little bit wacky with the trendy nonsense, people don't like cities. They might like to visit them, but they don't want to live there. They don't want to be constantly surrounded. They don't want to be in traffic every day. They don't want to breathe city air. They want to walk out their back door, and they don't want to immediately look to left and right and see their neighbor's houses on top of them. People yearn for the freedom and the liberty that comes with country living. So I think um, that's part of why you haven't seen the property values collapse in these rural properties that are less expensive already, and they've had less fake appreciation in them, so they haven't had to collapse. But I think a big part of it is their desirability. So I think finding the right investment, as soon as you can afford it smart, makes a lot of sense because they're not going to really decline in value. And if you think about it, we've seen the biggest loss in value of real estate ever in the history of the United States in the past couple of years. And a five-acre piece of land in rural Missouri or rural Arkansas doesn't cost much less and may cost more than it did five years ago. 
And, and, you know, you wouldn't say that about a property in L.A. or Miami. Those properties have really declined in value. So think about the investment value. Think about what it will bring to your life. Think about what you're willing to do, what you're willing to do without. Think about all the options that are available. Consider them. Just make sure that you look out for all the hidden gotchas, crossing state lines, potential to have a small town annex you and raise your property taxes, what your property taxes are going to look like if you improve the property. Get all the answers first. Make an informed decision. But make that investment because having a good, solid bug out location is one of the best things you can do to start living that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Get spent.